Welcome everyone to Monday Match Analysis. I'm Gil Gross, and boy, oh boy, we, we're going to have a new face on the Monday Match Analysis thumbnail this week. You already know, it's Fabio Fanini, age 32, wins his first Masters 1000 title, uh, winning Monte Carlo and beating the man who's won it 11 times, Rafa Nadal in the semifinals. On this week's Monday match analysis, uh, I'm going to get into mostly that match, less so the Dusan Laovic uh, final, but um, that was almost just as impressive because we know that Fanini is going to be able to really get excited for Nadal and take on an underdog role, which he's very dangerous in that role. Against Laovic, he's expected to win. It's the final of a Masters uh, event, which, you know, that's a place he hasn't ever been in. Um, so to have that expectation, that pressure, and to come through and deliver a good, imp- uh, a great performance is almost just as impressive. But let's, we're going to get into the Nadal match a bit tactically, um, and then French Open power rankings, and then I get to your comments. This is going to be a lot of fun. First, before... I get into my video clips, uh, some general words on Fanini. I mean, this is a dude who is as talented as anyone. Uh, he's got big four talent when it comes to ball striking, racket skills. And I say that with Nick Kyrgios as well. Again, the the big four, I'm going to imp- include Andy Murray in this. They are elite at multiple things that don't go together. And if you just look at the big three in tennis... I would say racket skills, physicality, and mental. Fanini is elite with the racket skills. Um, He's not elite physically. He's not elite mentally. And that's why he's been inconsistent throughout his career. Sometimes his racket skills have been able to really take over matches. And throughout this week, that happened fairly consistently. Now, the clay... Uh, helps his physicality a lot because he's a much better lateral mover on clay and he has a lot more time to get to his spots. Um, he becomes much more likely to hit you know, to play well on the run and that extra time it it gives him what he needs again to get in the right spot when he's moving laterally on the court and I find that he's much better when he's on the run on the clay. It's his favorite surface despite being an offensive player. Isn't that strange? Most offensive players would prefer faster surfaces. But Fanini, who's an offensive player, because he's so much better at moving laterally on the clay, it's his best surface. And because when the ball slows down, again, the, the best ball strikers can, can really take advantage of that extra time. Anyway, Fanini is elite in that area, as good as anyone. Federer-esque ball striking a lot of the times. Um, And that's the reality of it. So we've seen that throughout his career. Always been one of the more fun guys to watch. But the inconsistencies have been sort of puzzling. I mean, sometimes sometimes he can't get the ball on the court. He can't even make a ball. And some, you know, he's sometimes looks slow, lacks explosiveness. Sometimes he lacks a lot of focus. And that's, that's a big thing. Sometimes he's just not focused. This week consistent after the Australian Open he was one in seven in his next eight matches after the Australian Open one in seven really struggling coming into Monte Carlo so he's completely turned it around uh, do I project consistency yeah I don't know but 
He's had his moment in the sun here. 32 years old, up to a career-high ranking, number 12. Let's take a look at uh, what he what he had, some of the goods that he needed to beat Nadal. Here's something we've talked about. The strong righty backhand, and this is the best against Nadal. It's really the best attribute you can have. If you're comfortable, if you have a really strong backhand, and you're a righty, and you can take that backhand on the rise and be aggressive with it and step into the court, a la Novak Djokovic, 2017 Roger Federer, which next-gen player has given Nadal the most trouble? Karen Hatchinov. That's his bread and butter. That's his best shot when he can step into that backhand. A strong righty backhand is will be the best thing you can possibly have against Rafa Nadal because look at how he defends here. He's pushed into the corner, high loopy cross-court forehand, and Fanini's able to take this on the rise and rip it, rip the backhand down the line. If you look at Nadal's shot here, I think that this is a good neutralizing shot. I think that, again, I think most righties can't attack this. It's deep, cross-court, tons of topspin, and it's going to jump off the court. Fanini's not only going to take it on the rise, but change direction and hit it perfectly and hit it with a ton of pace and place it perfectly. The backhand down the line, the backhands down the line for Fanini all week long were so overwhelmingly good, it was mind-blowing. Against Zverev, against Chorich. Now, the interesting thing is about Zverev and Chorich is that um, both of those players, the, the best thing you can do is stretch them out to their forehand. Zverev and Chorich. So Fanini's backhand down the line was money in those matches, so you know he's going to get through those matches. Um, and then against Nadal... Uh, again, when Nadal defends, it's it's generally it's high. You know, he puts he gets a lot of net clearance and a lot of topspin. Your only choice is to take this ball on the rise. Otherwise, you're in huge trouble. But most players, when they take it on the rise, it's too hard to change direction down the line when the ball's jumping off the court. That's hard to time. So normally you have to go cross-court. And if Fanini went back cross-court, well, Nadal would have been back in the point. If Let's let's play this one more time. Most righties, they have to go cross-court on this. They can't go down the line. And you see Nadal wasn't really fully recovered to the middle. If Fanini went cross-court, Nadal's back in the point. And guess what? Nadal gets a forehand. Now, he gets, now he's turned the point around. So against most players... That neutralizing forehand by Nadal when he was pulled into the corner, again, it would have gotten Nadal back in the point. Fanini, on the rise, backhand on the line. Short, compact swing and gets so much pace on that backhand. He's only 5'10", right? He's not that big. Uh, this is just defying the rules of ball striking, which is what Fanini does all the time. I want to point out another thing that he does unbelievably well. He knows exactly when to go behind his opponent. He's so good at hitting behind his opponent. And it's a certain sense he has. And a certain play that I saw all week from Fanini um, was combining the taking away of time and going behind his opponent. So watch him do it to Rafa here. Nadal goes inside in, and you see... Rafa's wrong-footed, and here's why. When Nadal hits this inside-in um, forehand, he sees that Fanini's last shot, he hit it from pretty deep in the court. I'm going to pause it. I'm going to go back. 
pause it right here. Fanini's pretty far back in the court. When Nadal tracks this ball coming in and takes it down the line, he is basically calculating that the amount of time, or, or he, and this, he's not thinking about this, this is just comes natural. He's predicting the amount of time he has to recover to the middle of the court. And what you do is you pick a spot after you hit the ball. This is the spot I want to recover to. And Nadal picked that spot, but Fanini moved in explosively. Took, he took explosive steps inside the court and took it way earlier than Nadal was expecting. Nadal wasn't in his spot yet there, therefore. Nadal hadn't recovered as far as he thought he could. And then when Fanini struck the ball, Nadal's, all of Nadal's momentum was still going to his left towards his recovery. And Fanini recognizes when that happens and goes behind his opponent. And all of the momentum for Nadal was going the wrong direction because he was still recovering. Because when he hit that forehand, he thought he had more time to recover than he did. I'm going to play this two times. Nadal's recovering. And look how Fanini moved in and took this earlier than Nadal was expecting. And when he took it earlier than Nadal was expecting, that gave him the ability to wrong foot Nadal. Um, and Fanini did this to so many opponents. I saw this so many times. Now, Nadal didn't have his game. Nadal called it one of the worst matches uh, on clay that he's played in, I think, what did he say, 13 years or 14 years. Rafa was off, and um, there, there's no way around that. And, and I want to just show one of the, I want to show the point or one of the points where this was extremely apparent. And it's, this is in the second set. And this is Fanini beating Nadal for pace on a clay court, which is just very rare to see. Um, if you look at these backhands cross court from Fanini, they're, all they really have going for them is the pace. He hits them hard, but he doesn't get good width on them. He doesn't good, get good depth on them. But both forehands that Nadal hits back, one one was short in the court, the second was an error long uh, past the baseline, and I intentionally, I'm very descriptive for those who like to listen to the podcast version of this. Um, on both forehands, Nadal looked uncomfortable with the pace that Fanini was putting on the ball. And it's something that you'll see from time to time um, on a grass court or a fast hard court. But Nadal should never get beaten for pace on a clay court. That's, that should be very rare. His pace absorption should be fine. So when you see a point like this, which I saw multiple times from Nadal, where he's uncomfortable with Fanini's pace, that's a red flag. That means he's not feeling the ball. And Nadal's, uh, the, the rhythm with his, with his feet, were off. He was mistiming shots, but again, he had no feel and was was way off his game. One of the the reasons for it, and um, one of the things he said was, "Look, like I'm just not, I'm not staying on the court with enough consistency," and that's certainly been true. I mean, Nadal has had no rhythm 
over the past really 18 months. He hasn't really sustained a very long period of time where he's consistently healthy and playing matches. So this was his first tournament back. He runs into a tough opponent in Fabio Fanini, someone who's had already beaten him two times. Uh, one of them at the U.S. Open, or, or someone commented that Fanini's now beaten him three times on clay. But when I looked at the stat, it said that Fanini had beaten him three times in total. And I know that Fanini beat him at the U.S. Open, uh, coming down from two sets to love down. So I don't know if that someone put a YouTube comment that was wrong or if my stat was wrong. Who knows? Um, but it's one or the other. Fanini has beaten Nadal in the past. And uh, it's a very dangerous opponent for Nadal. It's a strong righty backhand. And Rafa, in his first tournament back, could have certainly won it playing at the level that he played. If he didn't run into Fanini, um, he could have won this tournament. Um, but he wasn't at his best. And I guess that's certainly understandable coming back. Now, I mean, he's been so good coming back from injury that I wouldn't have been surprised at all if he played if he just had a really overall solid week and never blinked cuz really he looked he looked quite good until this match and there were times against Pela where uh his forehand was off and but overall he looked pretty good this week the forehand before we go on to the French uh open power rankings the forehand is actually something i want to talk about because that's the shot that is really paramount for Nadal now in his older age. And I know I, I'm getting some comments a little bit later that talk about Nadal's defense because I read through the comments, so I'll save some of this for that. But Nadal didn't have the range on his forehand against Fabio Fanini. And here's the difference between current Nadal and prime Nadal. Prime Nadal could have not had his forehand and maybe still won. Current Nadal has no chance if he doesn't have the range on his forehand. If that forehand isn't firing like the like the best weapon in tennis and on a clay court, I think it's the best weapon in tennis. That's my opinion. Del Potro's forehand is uh, a little bit flatter, so not quite as good on clay. So like, and also I always exclude the serves. Forget like Isner's serve and Karlovich's serve. I I don't count those, but. I think that Nadal's forehand is the biggest weapon in men's tennis on clay. When it's not at that level, Nadal has no chance because um, his ability to grind out victories through defense and consistency and cardio, conditioning, um, and shot tolerance, those days are over. Nadal was having tons of trouble with his forehand. Fanini was playing way too well, and, and, and he had no chance. I know I keep saying last point, but I want to just circle back to Fabio Fanini really quick before the French Open power rankings. <laughs> Fanini's so loose, and you can't teach that. Because I, I know that I've talked about his racket talent, and I just say, well, it is because it is. But I want to go a little bit deeper for you guys, and I want to explore kind of some of the things that he does do. And I love his technique, but throwing that aside, how loose his his arm is, his wrist is, his grip is, um, and how fluent he is, is something that's so, so, so hard to replicate. 
And not only is that technical, not only is he is he does he have very loose technique, he's able to be in high pressure situations in match play, and he's able to to play so loose, so relaxed. Just look at even his face. Look how relaxed his face is when he hits the ball. You can't teach that. Everyone's best shots come in practice when they're not feeling any pressure in their joints, when they're completely loose. That's when most players will hit their most magical, incredible shots. Um, And Fanini can almost replicate this practice-like looseness, the same thing that Kyrgios can replicate, and the same thing that sometimes Federer is able to do when he's uh, high-flying Federer. Those are three guys who are able to play looser than the rest. The best thing you can possibly do, or or the first piece of advice that I can give you on YouTube without looking even at your serve, if you're a player at home and you want to add miles per hour on your serve, the first thing I can tell you to do Again, don't think that you're going to do this and your serve's going to be amazing, but grip the racket looser. There's no better way to add miles per hour on your serve. Grip the racket looser. Fanini embodies that. The fact that the the looser, the more flowy you are with your joints. Same thing for, for throwing a punch in boxing. Same thing for swinging a baseball bat. Um, the more The more loose you can keep your joints when you're going through any kind of technique, the more power and acceleration you can create. But very hard to teach that, how loose Fanini stays. But it's almost like he's in practice. Again, it's so hard. It's so hard to uh, for anyone to possibly play like that. But he's a magician, right? So Nadal doesn't play like that. Djokovic doesn't play like that. What are they? They're like, they're like machines. They're like robots right? They are mechanics. They can replicate the same thing over and over again perfectly. Fanini is a completely different style. Um, he He's not, he doesn't have this kind of uh, very uh, much more stiff, but, but beautiful at the same time. I mean, Nadal and Djokovic's technique is beautiful um, in, in its own right, but they're, they're more like machines. And Fanini's more like a flowy magician. I don't know. Okay, French Open power rankings. I don't know if that last tangent made any sense. This was April 15th, last week, before Monte Carlo started. Um, The parentheses are where the players were last week. So Nadal was number one. He moved up from number two. Djokovic was number two. Team at three. Federer at four. Tsitsipas moved up from 7 to 5. Vavrinka entered the rankings. Felix Ojealiasim entered the rankings. Zverev moved up from 8 to 9. Schwartzman moved up from 10 to 9. And Kyle Edmund stayed put at number 10. This week, a couple of changes, especially after... Well, in the top four, nothing changes. So Nadal's still at number 1, then Djokovic team, then Federer. Um, Zverev moves up from number eight to number five. And look, after number four, after the top four, I don't know how else to put it. it it's a bit of a crapshoot. I, no one, look, I don't really think anyone after number four right now would have a chance at winning the French Open. No one has really shown enough. 
and there's a lot of inconsistency. A lot of the players in the 5 through 10 range in last week's French Open power rankings were very disappointing in Monte Carlo. So Zverev moves to number 8. Vavrinka stays put at number 6, um, despite... Who did he lose to? Oh, I think he lost to Cecchinato. Uh Fabio Fanini when um is entering the rankings and he's coming in at number seven again like let's see if he's consistent but like i wouldn't be that surprised if by the time the french open rolls around fanini's back outside this top 10 at the same time we know how much he likes clay we know how dangerous he is but there's a reason there's a reason that that fabio fanini's 32 and is is just now Again, he, he's never done this well in his career. So right now it's an outlier. Hopefully he, he builds on this. Marco Cecchinato enters back into the rankings. I know he was in the rankings at some point, but he fell off. Now he's back in at number eight. He had a good week. And uh, Daniil Medvedev, who went um, to the semifinals and beat uh, Djokovic in this tournament. He enters the top ten. Debuts at number nine. Pass, who was up at number five. I mean, he hadn't done that much to deserve being at number five, but he was your Australian Open semifinalist. And and I, you know, I'm from from what I've gathered so far, or at least last year, uh, Pass does love clay. But right now, he hasn't done anything or done enough, at least on the surface. So. Uh, it's volatile, and he's down to number 10. He lost to Medvedev, so now he's one spot behind Medvedev. So Stefanos Tsitsipas is at number 10. Um, Nadal and Djokovic, they're not moving. Again, neither of, neither of them are at their peak right now. I mean, it's really hard to say. It's extremely difficult right now to project the state of Nadal and Djokovic when it comes to Paris. Because... Neither of them are ready right now to play Paris. Who's going to be more ready in about a month's time? That's what we're. Um, that's what we'll be looking for. Let's go to the comments. I'll, we'll take this to about the thirty-minute mark. Um, I'm going to read these in order of most likes, and I'll just keep going down the list. So most likes to least likes. The first comment is analysis by Terry and Terry. Um, I don't think there's a question in here. And again, I mean, he, he writes very long comments. So make sure always insightful to check out my post from last night and to read that. Um, second comment, was it just bad for Rafa or is he vulnerable and this could happen again is the question. Is Rafa vulnerable? Well, whenever someone... Whenever Rafa, whenever someone's out of match play, they're going to be more likely to lose confidence on the court and to have an inconsistent showing. And that's what Rafa said after the match. It's completely true. Like when you don't, when you're not developing rhythm in your schedule, you're much more likely to take the court, be like, oh my God, I can't feel the ball. I'm reacting late. My, my, my legs feel like bricks, which I don't know if his legs felt like bricks, but when things are off, things are much more like, you're much more likely to have an off day when you're not playing matches for a sustained period of time, or at least if you're not on a consistent schedule. And 
injuries completely disrupt that consistent schedule and that rhythm. In general, um, I don't know if Rafa is more vulnerable in general once he builds up that rhythm. Uh, because, yeah, he's lost he's lost a lot of the defense that he once had, but it didn't stop him last year. Last year, he was more offensive than normal on the clay, and he was dominant. So I, I think that Nadal can do that again. He just needs to build up some confidence, because right now, I think that all the time off has worn on his mind. And there have been way too many matches now where I feel like Nadal has lost the confidence and that has manifested itself especially in losing in Nadal kind of losing his ability to play aggressive with the forehand thank you for the comment from Amalia B Papringo says yeah no oh Papi Gringo Papa Gringo um are Rafa and Nole reaching that age where there's a big drop in performance 32-33 seems to hit every player hard. Sampras, Agassi, Fed's five-year major title drought began around that age. Even second-tier players like Ferrer, Burdich, Sanga seem to hit a wall at that time. Thoughts? Um, my thoughts are it really depends on the player. So, for example, I think that you're not remembering correctly with Ferrer because Ferrer's best year of his career was when he was 32. Take a look at John Isner. Best year of his career, last year. I think he was like 32. Maybe he turned 33 in the middle of the year. Um, so sometimes it's the other way. The guy who just won Monte Carlo, Fabio Fanini, career high ranking, 32. So it really depends on the player. Nadal, you you worry about because of his injuries. You You simply do. I mean, Nadal doesn't have that many years left. He will not play as long as Roger Federer. If he does, I will be really, really happy to be wrong. But it seems entirely unlikely that for a guy who who really has suffered such a consistent um, regimen of injuries will be able to play to his late 30s. Uh, Djokovic, Djokovic physically seems pretty good. It's, uh, it's really the more mental with him. Is he going to stay, uh, you know, is, is he going to be able to stay motivated through his thirties, which is an interesting thing for that to be a problem is interesting, but I think that that maybe is, is paramount for Djokovic but then also who knows maybe he could hit a, a wall physically it's really hard to predict this and I hate predicting it there's nothing I hate more than trying to predict longevity it's it's unpredictable what can you say the less um, the players who can rely more on their shot making and less on their physicality they're in better shape generally and the smaller players are in better shape generally. But again, generalizations, exceptions to the rule. Max Dang Vu. Hi, Gil. Do you think Nadal and Djokovic are saving themselves for the French Open? No, I don't think so. Um, once you're on the court, you're competing 100%, hopefully. Maybe you don't prepare as hard. Maybe you're not... You. 
you have a you plan your preparation so that you physically peak for the French Open. So if I'm Djokovic's fitness coach, I'm gonna put I'm gonna gradually increase the amount of training that we're doing off the court. And I want his cardio and his strength to peak about a week before the French Open, which means we're going to do the hardest training about, well, again, I want it to peak for the beginning of that fortnight. So that's certainly true. And they're going to be planning their off time and their relaxation time as far away from the French Open as possible. But saving themselves, I don't know about that. Who do you see performing better in Madrid? Nadal right now. I think Djokovic is a little bit further off his form than Nadal is. And they're both off their form. But Djokovic is further. On that note, why are the courts in Madrid and Rome faster than Monte Carlo or Paris? I'm not an expert on that. Um, I, I know people who are. I could always ask these people, but um, I'm, I'm not well-versed in um, exactly what the differences in the material are of the clay court. But essentially, um, I know more about hard courts, actually, than clay courts. I'm pretty clueless about clay courts. But for example, like a hard court, the more you sand the court, the slower it'll get and the higher, the more receptive it'll be to spin. And the more you smooth out the court, the faster it'll get, right? So how rough is the court? Um, think about concrete. Smooth concrete, rough concrete, if you rubbed your hand against it. There's an example. Uh, for clay, again, I'm just not an expert on that. Um, last one. Lancelot Chua. Is it about uh, how Nadal has lost his defense? He only seemed to be able to be aggressive, and if the opponent is more aggressive than him, he seems to have trouble going back to his defense mode. He does have trouble going back to his defense mode right now. And Nadal, mental state-wise, looked quite similar in the matches he lost to Fed in Shanghai, Novak at Australian Open, and probably the matches he won in last year's U.S. Open. Thoughts? Again, Nadal... His psyche, I would classify it right now as fragile. What he can do to remedy that is get in a rhythm, stay healthy for a while, which he normally does on clay, and he the, the results will come. I mean, Rafa will, will get to where he needs to be in time for Roland Garros. And I think Djokovic will as well. Um, Barcelona is awesome. Great draw. It's a 500 event, but clearly they're paying the players well. They're treating the players well because uh, it's an awesome draw. So hope you enjoyed this. Uh, enjoy the tennis in Barca. Until then, hope you enjoyed. Don't forget to subscribe. I'll see you next time.